Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Recorded live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. This is a pre-recorded edition of the March 20th show, and we're pre-recording it to accommodate our guest, who obviously, unlike me, has like really cool things to do on a Friday night. So already I'm a little jealous. Um, tonight's special guest is uh, China McCoy, who who has a a pretty nice list of accomplishments to his name. Um, I think the thing that Jarvis told me about that I know most about you is, uh, you know, the kind of stunt work you've done in some of the projects associated with film. But I would like to welcome you to the show, and uh, I'm very happy that you could make it. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, thanks to Jarvis. <laughs> Made me stop my beautiful, lovely Friday, which I was doing nothing at all. Well, that's good. Um, and, and where are you coming to us from right now? Uh, sunny California. Uh, very beautiful oh, out today, actually. Yeah, so, you know, everybody knows me. They know, you know, that uh, I'm stuck here in Chicago. It's about 44 degrees here. What part of California are you in? Are you near the L.A. area or what? L.A. Okay. And um, if if you were to describe yourself um you know the short version of everything that you do what what how would you describe you know you personally because we know that you've got a lot of accomplishments and we know that you have a lot of plans for the future but what what would people most know you for at this point in your career uh mild mannered humbled and the guy who actually did all the action and fighting and stunt work on uh the Matrix and Matrix Reloaded. Very cool. Uh, seems, and so, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it just seems like everywhere I go, they go, hey, there's China from the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and, and you know, how, well, tell, you know what, we might as well just jump right in. Tell us a little bit about how you got that gig, because I'm sure people would want to know. Now, that's an interesting story, because nobody actually knows the real story how I got on the Matrix. Uh when I got to California in 95, uh, one of my specialties that I love to do is hang out on the beach. That's all I did, 24-7, hang out on the beach. I love flipping in the sand and doing flips on the grass and climbing the bars and doing the gymnastic poles and working out in the weight pit, uh, which was a big thing back then, you know, to go down to Venice and work out in the, at Muscle Beach. Sure. Um, so while I was working out there one day, a uh, guy came up to me, and he befriended me, and we became friends. And sometime during that time, he came to me one day while I was flipping and said, hey, China, I have a friend who's great to shoot a movie, and I wanted to know if he wanted to try out for it. And I was like, eh, why not? I'm not doing nothing but flipping. <laughs> you know what I mean? He said, all right, well, well, we'll go up there in the morning. So morning came. I was on the beach as usual doing my flips. He showed up. He goes, all right, you ready? Let's go. Because we're going to go up to uh, 
this place called Burbank. So, you know, I'm new, so I don't really know anyone. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm good, let's go. And we headed up to Burbank, and we went to this huge warehouse, and there was Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, Trinity, Carrie Ann Moss, Hugo Weaving, uh, Wu Ping from Hong Kong. There's a lot of people there. And it was interesting because I had just talked to Lawrence Fishburne one week prior to seeing him at the warehouse because down on Venice Beach there's this cafe called Sidewalk Cafe, and everybody goes there to eat. It's a nice place. So it was just funny seeing him there again. And I got to meet Wu Ping, and I knew I instantly knew who he was because I grew up in Hong Kong cinema and Japanese anime, and so I, I instantly knew all his movies. And uh, I was like, hey, man, that's Wu Ping. He's like, yeah, well, you know, these are, these are my friends. I'm like, so what's this about? So they heard me say that, and then they went on to explain what it was about. So it's like, okay, so Wu Ping wants you to do a couple of fights, you practice, kicks, and whatever you can do. The stuff you do on the beach, man, you know, the stuff you do on the beach. So I'm like, I can do that. And uh, I did the audition, and Wu Ping was like, perfect, that's what we want. And less than a week after that, I was on a plane to Australia. And and so, I mean, it was just that easy for you. Yeah, I, uh, no, I, I can say yeah. it was that easy. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I mean, come on, think about it. Okay, well, well, then, then obviously you had you had skills. Okay, they recognized that because they, you know, Hollywood is an industry. Okay, and it's an industry that is geared toward making money. It's not geared toward making people famous. They don't give a damn who you are, but if you can contribute to the bottom line of a movie, you know, that's that's where their interest lies. So, I mean, it kind of begs the question. I mean, where did you grow up, by the way, first of all? Well, actually, I was born in Spain. My dad was military, and he okay. moved us to the East Coast. So I lived in Baltimore. I lived in D.C. I lived in Florida, New York. So I was, you know, we traveled a lot. So but the East Coast right. became my home. So while you're and, doing that, I, I mean, were you picking up, I mean, obviously you're, you're, I would presume that you're in great health. You obviously have, have an affinity for flipping, for maybe even the martial arts, for all kinds of things that are, you know, very physical. Um, you know, how, how young were you when you kind of moved your, moved your life in that direction? Was it early or was it something you, you kind of picked up in your teens? How, what happened? Well, I mean, my, by my dad being in the military, he was, you know, my great-grandfather was a Golden Glove boxer. Uh, my grandfather was a boxer. My dad was a boxer and loved martial arts. So growing up, it was, as soon as I could see, my first visuals was of comic books and, you know, kung fu movies until Bruce Lee came along. Then it was the Bruce Lee era. So that was, so comics and cartoons and, and, and Kung Fu movies was consistent in my life, 24-7. So, I mean, for me to be where I'm at now, my, my family would say it makes sense because of everything I, I did as a child. I mean, I used to run around in my underoos and think I was the hawk and paint myself green. Well, I mean, yeah, you had a great imagination. It was, it was like, it, it, it seems like it was part of you already when you were that young. I mean, it was so much of a part for me that uh, as I got older, uh, 
me, Tupac, and Jada Pinkett. We went to the same school together. Um, and Pac and Jada wound up staying in the school. Uh, they told me I couldn't stay in the school because the teachers were frustrated because they told my father that there was nothing they could teach me in the school of arts. So my father was kind of like, well, okay. what do you mean? My son's a great artist. You know, he's pretty good at what he does. And they're like, that's the problem. He's too good. He, he draws better than the teachers. But um, okay. uh, one of the teachers said, I have a friend over at Marvel Comics. Uh, maybe you can take him over there and he can actually draw for them. But pretty much here, he's already advanced in what he does. So that goes to show you that how far I was into, you know, the comic world and the cartoons just as a child. By the time I went to an art school, I had already surpassed, you know, learning how to. What, what they could teach you. Sure. Yeah, what they could teach okay. you. Yeah, so, okay, so you're, you know, you're, you're military, they, they call it a military brat. I don't know what you're Military brat, was, yeah. But, um, you know, you're a military brat, and you have an affinity for drawing, and you obviously you, you know, the military discipline of staying in shape and, and, and building a good, you know, positive ethic about staying in shape. Um, did you did you at the time when you were that young um, take your your uh, your drawing further? Uh, actually, I didn't. I I, I kind of strayed. I mean, I used, I remember I used to go over to my friend's house when I was younger, and we used to you know lay out on the asphalt turf kind of grass on the porch and. You know, East Coast, so it was all row houses, and every now and then you find houses with porches, and we would just draw from the comic books. And then it just kind of crossed over into every Saturday morning and afternoon and night, we would watch Kung Fu Cinema. Okay, so sure. from there, I kind of stopped drawing and got more into the Kung Fu Cinema and Kung Fu movies. So, you know, we're running around the neighborhood, and we're doing – you know, 1970s and 80s kung fu movies on each other and leaping off of trees. And <laughs> that led into yeah. the flipping. So in the East Coast, we're flipping off the garages. We, you know, we put the mattresses out in the alley and run and do all these flips off the mattresses. And, you know, so it just kept elevating. But I never strayed from the path of creativity. You know, I was always that child. I was never one to be out in the streets to fight. Uh, I never uh, started fights. I was never a bully because I was always the one getting bullied because I was always the one who'd rather be sitting on the steps drawing pictures or, you know, kicking at the trees or doing flips than, you know, out with the drug dealers or, you know, down right. at the basketball courts, doing yeah. the normal. Doing what everybody else was doing. Right. I was never the one that was doing whatever. Everybody was right. I was always going left. So that was just yeah. who I was. Um, and, and so at that time, you know, did you did you have a pretty – strong, insular personality where you were self-directed. I mean, it, 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 it appears that you did, you know, that you had, you had kind of like your, not mission or anything like that, but you had your own way and you were very comfortable going your own way. Um, so, so, you know, it sounds like you had a pretty strong self-identity that, that served you well. Um, would, you, would you consider that to be correct, or, or were you shy? I mean, you know, what, what kind of person were you oh, that kind of sustained all of this, you know? Yeah, definitely an introvert. To this day, I'm still an introvert. Uh, but, I mean, I owe a lot of that to my dad because my dad nurtured that. Even though, you know, I ran away from home when I was 12. I was always, you know, wrong place at the wrong time, but I wasn't a bad kid. Even when I got locked up once, the police said, what are you doing here? You're not even a bad person. <laughs> you know what I mean? So 
if the yeah. police are telling me that, you know, then you know that these are things, you know, they were steering me away from the, the, the bad things of the world and try to get me more into my purpose, you know. And on the East Coast, tons of drug dealers on the corner. So they'd be like, look, man, what you doing? You know, hey, man, I'm doing my little pictures. You know, yeah, because you don't want to do this. I was always educated. You don't want to do this. Go do that. And because of that, and being an introvert, it just made me stay more on the path of being creative rather than running the streets and and, and being a, a child of the system. Sure. So, okay, you're you're flipping. You've kind of got away from the um, the the drawing. Um, what what kinds of things were you doing, like in your late teens? You know, where where was your life focused at that time? My late teens. That's a good question. I think my late teens. I was. We were living in Washington D.C. at the time, and I was being drawn into the world. Now it went from martial arts into boxing. So because we're living in D.C., they were more about uh, East Coast. You know, you if you got into fights, you had to know how to wrestle. You know, but if you got if you went to D.C., they were more about boxing. They were more about you know throwing in the hands and. So I wound up getting into that. So, so, so most of my life became boxing. But okay. I still have to create. I used to doodle a lot, but I was more physical. So all my jobs were really physical. I worked for a sheetrock company. I worked for a company, a stone company. We used to blow up mountains. And after they blew up mm-hmm. the mountains, we would go up and break the rocks. And then we would take the rocks, put them on the truck, and then we would sell them because the houses were made out of rocks. So it was very, very physical you know, my job. So I was always very fit. So when I came to California, you know, they thought I was already like, wow, you've been training for years. It's like, uh, no. <laughs> I've just been carrying a sheet, rocking, slinging sledgehammers and construction. So. Right. Well, I mean, I and, and, I and, I, and about how old were you? Yeah, no, no, no. How old were you when you got to California? Uh, about 25. About 25. When I decided that's, to I mean, that's, a, that's a good that's a good age, you know. Um, and and then what kind of jobs did you get in California? Because you weren't just on the beach one day and then you know, choreography, doing choreography, fight choreography or whatever for the Matrix the next day. I mean, what kind of, pretty much you know, pretty much I was. I mean, pretty seriously? much it went just like pretty much it went wow. just like that when I when I when I first when I first arrived in California. Uh, uh-huh. Um. I wound up going to Muscle Beach, and then I wound up getting gigs as, uh, you know, a lot of people come up and be like, hey, man, you know, I'm doing this magazine, you know, you want to model for it. And my first gig was a, a model for health and fitness magazines. And on the okay. – I still have the I still have the paper, the, the paper that I got on the front of the magazine. And on the front of the magazine, you can literally see I got off the bus. I mean, I got on some jeans, some boots, uh, my hair <laughs> is messed up, and my duffel – and my duffel bag is sitting off on the side next to me. Right. And I'm posing with two girls on each side of me, and they're like, man, your body's great. You know, you know, would you do this? And I'm like, and that was my very first off the bus, onto Muscle Beach, right into a photo shoot. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know, I don't know, I don't know, I didn't know what a photo shoot was. You know, right. it, was just, it was my first experience of doing something of that cool. caliber. Yeah, and it, new, was, it was new, like that. The new boy in town. The new boy in town. Yeah, and so every day it was uh, I did CD covers for Italian record labels and 
um, you know, I was just doing a lot of things until uh, a movie called Low Down Dirty Shame came to town. And came I remember that. Yeah. Well, the funny story behind that one is it was my first time seeing Keenan Ivy Wayne because I remember seeing him from the East Coast. But I didn't know he was a star of that particular film at the time. And when they came there, I was staying on the beach 24 hours. I pretty much lived on the beach. That was just my life. And I wound up getting a job at, at Craft Service, and I wound up meeting Keenan. And uh, he said, man, I love your look. And uh, I said, yeah, I came, here, I came here to do movies, so I want to be in your movie. <laughs> in the 80s, and, well, you have to have a casting agent. I'm like, well, what's a casting agent? Well, I need a casting agent. I'm right here. <laughs> you know, and Keenan's laughing. He goes, well, because there's procedures. I said, procedures to be in the movie? The movie you're shooting a movie. I'm standing here. There's the procedure. So they were like, where are you from? Like, nobody here does that. I'd be like, well, I'm not right. from you know what I mean? So I'm well yeah. right off the train, and this is my direction. And Keenan was really good about uh, that whole situation and trying to get me into the film. And he actually wound up writing a part for me, and I wound up getting another I wound up getting another gig. And I couldn't do Lord on Dirty Shane because I wound up getting another movie gig outside of that. And then later on, I found that Keenan was looking for me. And... As time went on, Keenan had his own show, if y'all remember, the Keenan Ali Wayne show. Sure. So you can actually probably find it on YouTube, and he actually got me on that show, and then you actually get to see me on there doing what I did on the beach. So it kind of went full circle. Well, and it's, you know, it, it's that kind of Cinderella story that everybody would love to have about them as well. You know, and, and you know, you had uh, a combination of, you know, obviously a good, personal ethic when you, you when you had arrived in um, LA and and you had the luck of the draw to run into the right people but you know uh, on top of that what a lot of people don't realize is that even though you have all of that luck going for you you still have to deliver you know you yes. have to be in shape you have to you have to show up on time you have to do all the things that that people want to sometimes minimize but those are the things that actually get you and keep you working. Because when people know that you've got a good work ethic, when people know that you show up on time, when people know that, you know, if you have lines, you know your lines, that's a big damn deal. And not a lot of people are like that, which is why we have such a small pool of returning actors for for various projects. Um, so once you got, you know, once you got in with Keenan, you did a couple things, um, you you did the Matrix. Well, tell us a little bit about you know what you did in the Matrix because obviously you know <clears throat> excuse me being the Genesis sci- Science Fiction Radio Show you know everybody is you know has has experience and has knowledge of the Matrix. It was a pretty pretty I would say uh, it was it was a new film form a new art form and it was pretty exciting for people to see. What what was your role in in that uh, in that production? Uh, well, before I get to that, I just want to say real quick that uh, before I uh, got on the Matrix, I mean, it took many years to realize this, but I guess it was never. I wasn't. I don't. I don't think I was in the right place at the right time when I got the Matrix. I think, and I, I really don't believe that there's a right place in the right time but I believe you put yourself in the right place for the right time. And I think if I had never left when I did, when I decided 
the bug has bit me to be an actor, and I'm going to go to California and be a star. When it bit me when it did, mm-hmm. I, I put myself in that place to be in that position to get that opportunity. You know no, I, um, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to diminish, you know, your, your plan for yourself at all. Um, but, you know. No, no, I was just elaborating on that because you, you, you made me yeah. realize a good point when you were saying. I was like, wow, actually, you know, I kind of, you know, put, you know, people, you know, they, they, they always think, oh, I need to be in the right place in order to make it. But you actually got to, you got to do the legwork like you did for the radio show I do for acting and or art, whatever we do, we, we got to put ourselves there. And so, you know, when I, when I did the Matrix, <clears throat> and that's a funny story, I didn't go there with the, the idea of doing stunts. I went there because right. I was good at kicking and flipping and fighting. Like, I right. love to do kicks and drop kicks and, you know, run off a building and, and do a flying kick in the air like, you know, Bruce Lee, and that's what I'm coming here for, and that's what I'm here for. But, sure, so when sure. So when I was on the set is when they said, this is, and to be honest with you, this is how I actually got the job. When okay, I was go ahead. Audi- tell us. When I was auditioning for it, whatever they told me to do, I didn't fight them on it. However they told me to do, I didn't try to explain it. Well, I'm trying to do this. You know what I mean? I didn't give them reasons. And I, I later found out uh, that the reason why there weren't any stuntmen on The Matrix because everybody that they did audition before me uh, we're doing that. They were saying, oh, yeah, 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 you know, I've been kicking for 20 years. Uh, yeah, well, actually, you know, if I, I'm more, if I throw the punch more this way, it'd probably be more effective, you know, sure. and that's something that I wasn't doing. Yeah, almost. It was something that I wasn't doing, you know what I mean? I was just like, okay. And for me, it was, I was learning as they were showing me. So I never, I never tried to seem like I was more knowledgeable than they were at what they did. And that was one of the big things that uh, Wu Ping stated later that he appreciated about me, which is why he picked me for the part. I was like, wow, I, I could have just said I, one thing and ruined that whole situation. <laughs> no, I, I understand that. Um, I understand that, I mean, very, very well. And if you, if you indulge me for a second, I I have the same circumstance. You know, my, my square job, my day job is uh, in information technologies. And, and Fortune 500 people who have, you know, their IT budgets that are bigger than all the money I'm ever going to make in my life would still hire an outside person. You know, one of them was Abbott Labs, and, and the lab manager for the, the two labs I was working for, I asked him, why didn't you have your own IT people do these projects? And he says, well, here's, here's what I don't like. Whenever I come to them and tell them what I want, the first thing out of their mouth is, no, you don't want that. What you want is this. So I, I really understand their philosophy toward you. You know, they, they have their, their, their vision, they have their view, they have their process, and you just came in and you said, okay, this is your process, let me deliver. And, and a lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people think that they have to inject their personality, and sometimes, like you said, it's the worst possible thing that they can do. Um, so they, they they appreciated your prof- I mean, and what a lot of people don't realize is that is professionalism. Do your damn job and keep your mouth shut. Um, exactly. And and so, you know, I I think that's a very useful thing for you to to to, to, to tell with people and to emphasize because, you know, everybody's got an opinion. You know, it's like that anatomical part of your body. Everybody's got one, but. But if 
if you're not paying the bills, sometimes you just have to shut the hell up and do what you're supposed to do. Otherwise, they can always find somebody else. That's the other thing that I realized, that nobody is, or very seldom is, is somebody irreplaceable. So you delivered. You delivered. And, and, and when you delivered, what, what was it exactly that they wanted out of you? They wanted the certain choreography. They wanted the certain things that you did. And, and you know, the other part of your ethic is you were able to deliver, correct? Yes. And not only was I able to deliver, I was able to actually inject my own opinion and the way I was, and when I was the time for me to do that, guess how I did it? I said, well, if you want, I can do it this way. So, I mean, just let me know whichever way you like. I can do it this way or I can do it that way. Just, you know. So it, mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. I, I, learned, I learned by watching that, you know, like you were saying, don't inject your opinion on anybody because that's not what they hired you for. But if you are going to inject it, don't make it your opinion. Make it theirs. And just let them right. know that you're flexible in all areas, and then you'll, yeah. you'll be accepted. Yeah, give them the option. Give them the option. Say, okay, exactly. this is what you had. I, I also, you know, I, you wanted a red marble, just so that you know, in this other pocket here, I got a blue one, a yellow one, and a green one, in the event that, you know, you you might want something different. So, all right, so tell us a little bit about, the, you know, how you – well, tell us what you did. Obviously, you you. Well, no, you tell it. Yeah. So they start out. They start. They start out on the shooting schedule. And what do you do it? I was at craft service. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the, that was the best part of the whole matrix was craft service. Well, the lobsters and the fish and the, oh my god! Oh, so when man. everybody was fighting, I was at craft service. But okay. uh, we had rehearsals and oh my gosh. You got the Hong Kong team there, and it's 4 a.m., and it's like, okay, kick drills. So kick drills for, like, hours and split drills and stretching drills and uh, the, the horror. But it was fun because, I mean, that's, that's what I did. So that was, that was one of the, the, the highlights of working on there was the training. Okay. Um, they had, you know, we had a whole airport hangar. So, I mean, I'm flipping all across the airport hangar and, and – it, it, it was just a, uh, an experience, training with weapons, the wire work we get in, you know, the harnesses, and we're flying across the hangar. And uh, I found myself just doing stuff I have never done in my entire life. I mean, the stuff that they were doing on wires, I was already doing that without wires. Right. So uh, that, was, that was unique. But the, I think the most scariest moment is when I actually became a stunt man on there. So I had to crash through walls. Uh, I had to do it. Helicopter training. So basically, I went to a big open field on the side of a football field, and the helicopter was mm-hmm. waiting. Tied me to the bottom of the helicopter, and we flew back and forth. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm here. I'm here. You going? Uh, they tied me to the bottom of the helicopter. Go ahead, yeah. tell us about that. Tied me to the bottom of the helicopter. It was like, okay, let's go. And we're flying to one end of the field to the next, back and forth, back and forth. And like, okay, we got it. There to shoot, like 150, like. I don't know, 350 feet in the air. I'm, I'm over skyscrapers and I'm flying all through Sydney over top of the buildings. And, you know, a lot of people always say, man, it had to be scary. But every time I think about it, I could swear I was Superman. Because when I was up there, all I could just think was, wow, I'm flying over these buildings. You know, 
I'm holding onto the helicopter with one hand and the other hand is free and I'm just it was just amazing film. Mhm. Mhm. So and that about was, how that long was, was the yeah, how long huh? was the shoot for you? I was I don't think I was in Australia for almost a year and a half. Wow. Yeah. I was one of the last people to actually leave the shoot. That seems okay. to be like my trademark. I think every movie I do when I when I'm overseas, I just always seem to be the last person to actually leave the country. <laughs> Everybody was okay. gone home except for me. I was still in Australia. And this is right. I just did a movie in China. Everybody was gone home. I was the last one there. Still in China. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's and, and were, you, were, you, were you still doing pickups or what were you doing, you know, to be on the film that late? No, I mean, we did straight through. No, no pickups. I mean, we all the way till the film was done. And oh, so you you were actually like in the production and and still going till the very end. Yeah, I was there from day one, from the day I, I, I auditioned in Burbank, from flying uh-huh. out, getting my passport, and getting on a plane to fly to Australia from the beginning, from the time the film wrapped and everybody was leaving, and I was just I just had to be one of the last people that left. That's but yeah, from cool. the beginning to end. That's pretty cool. And so after this experience, I mean, what kinds of things came your way? I mean, did this open doors for you? Not at first, because after I got back, you you got to think, the movie wasn't uh, in the can. Right, they were were still cutting it and stuff like that. Yeah, so I was just doing little side stuff, you know, fighting on little independent movies and, and things like that. And then when The Matrix came out, then it was like, that was you? Oh my gosh! And then uh, <laughs> the word kind of the word kind of got around, and then I actually got a, a call to now. Back then, during my my era, you couldn't be a stuntman and an actor. And I wound up getting a call, and the guy said, "Hey man, we want you to do this star in this film. It's called Game Over, and you're the only person right now who can do martial arts and act." And I was like, ah, I'll do it, you know. Like, that's something I always wanted to do. And the stunt community was just like, you know, you're a stuntman, you're a stuntman. Acting community, like, if you're a thespian, you're a thespian. You act, you don't do action stuff. And I'm just like, I just like to do what I do. I don't really care about the communities. I just care about somebody asking me to do something. If I can do it, I'm going to help them. Right. And Game Over led to another film called TKO, which was another film, Urban Assault and Random Acts of Violence. I started doing all these indie action films, and then I did another one. Uh, it just kept going. I mean, it just I just became known as the independent action movie guy who could act and fight at the same time. Mhm, mhm. Well, I mean, it's it, obviously it's a good um, it's a good uh, skill to have. You know, uh, yes. I had uh, somebody here was shooting a a fairly expensive fan fiction film for Power Rangers. And it was Power Rangers. And they had, you know, they had to choreograph a fight scene kind of in the forest. And and some of those guys under those costumes didn't know, obviously, the things that you know. And, and so they had a fight coordinator to try to make them look as much like they were fighting as possible. So, I mean, it... It's a great skill set. Uh, they also wanted to shoot on, on on the roof of one of the buildings that I uh, that I I have clients in, 
and and they said, well, can we shoot on the roof? And I said, well, what's your budget? And they said, well, it's not really much of a budget. I said, well, it's going to cost you about $250,000 to rig the roof to have a fight scene up there. And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, you've got to have nets all the way around. You have to have stuntmen under, below the, the line of the roof. You have to this, this, this. this. And they said, well, well, can't we just stand in the middle? <laughs> you know, that, that would be like them saying, can't, uh, here, here's some bungee cords. Attach your own ass to the helicopter. You know, it's just not done, you know, especially when, when somebody's life is, uh, is at risk. Um, you know, the, the other thing that, okay, so you do those independent movies and then all of a sudden your name kind of gets, uh, gets out there with the matrix. Um, what did you see in terms of how people behave towards you in Hollywood? Um, did you get kind of the respect that you thought you were due? Um, because it, you know, it doesn't always happen that way. Um, I never thought about this. Yeah, go ahead. I never thought about okay. I did this movie and I'm gonna get respect. I just I never really thought anything honestly. After I did the movie, I was like, oh man, that was fun. That was great. You know, I love to do another one of these, and that was mm-hmm. my mindset. But and it it was a fifty fifty. Like uh, it didn't go well with the stunt community, so I was always fighting with them. You know, and uh, a social death is always a bad death. So they were, it was always a deliverance of a social death, and you don't want to work with China and. There were others like, oh, man, China's the greatest thing since French toast and Swiss cheese. So, uh, you know, I was always, you know, when you do rebellious things, you, you I realize it now, but when you do rebellious things, you definitely uh, have to deal with consequences from both sides. So you're going to have 50% of people that's not going to like what you did because either it should have been them or because you were supposed to just be loyal to one side. And if I'm a, if I'm an actor and I'm a fighter and I'm a stuntman, actually, who am I loyal to? Because The Matrix was actually the first film to divide stunts and fighting. See, in Matrix, they did fighting. Then they also did mm-hmm. stunts. So when they mm-hmm. were in the dojo, mm-hmm. they, they, that was fight choreography. Right. You know, in the bathroom scene, that was fight choreography, but they added a stunt, which was Morpheus coming through the wall, landing on top of the agent, and then they were fighting and every and then he gets slammed off. And you know, so it was they were mixing the stunts in with the fighting, but the Hong Kong team divided that. So it was like the Australian stunt team handled the stunts, and the Hong Kong team handled the fights. So right. I was a cross hybrid of everything. So mm-hmm. I knew how to fight, I knew how to do the stunts, and I could act. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you know, Mr. that became Mr. like triple threat. Yeah, triple threat, pretty much. So that was probably that was that created that created a problem in a world where everybody was only doing one or the other. You were either right. a stuntman or you were an actor. You couldn't be a stuntman, actor, and fighter. You can't do all that. It's just not possible. But it was possible. And I yeah, didn't have I any limits. No, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just saying okay. mentally, I didn't have any limits, and physically, I didn't have any limits. So, you know, that could be seen as a threat, and that could be seen as a good thing. So, the people who saw it as a threat. Those are the people I never got to work with. The people who saw it as a good thing were the people that would say, hey, man, I got a movie. I want you to star in it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I've, I've been told by a lot of people. I mean, I'm a filmmaker here in Chicago, and, and I'm an independent. I, I've, I've done shorts, and I have a, um, a feature that I'm going to do in 2016. And, and a lot of the people who I've, I've worked with since about 2000, let's say 2007 or so, 
they tell me that the coin of the realm in Hollywood isn't necessarily money at all, but it's but a lot of it is ego driven, and that's what makes it so difficult because sometimes it's just not rational. But whether it's rational or not, you you know it's tough to overcome people when they have prejudices or they've made up their minds about certain things. But apparently, you still kept working, correct? Yeah, I mean, my mentality was. If there's a million people in the world and only 500 people hate me, my odds are good. That, yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's just what it's going to be. I'm not going to, I'm not going to appeal to everyone, and I'm not going to be loved by everyone, and I'm not going to be hated by everyone. You know, so it, it's it, because because we all are individuals. We all have different tastes. We all have different likes. We all have. You know, we also have that ego where, well, we can't get China to do what we want to do, so we don't like him. And then the other half is like, we like China because he's a rebel and he just does his own thing and he makes it happen. You know, mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it'll always be that we can't please everybody, but it, it still works for me. I still do films. Like I said, I just, you know, went to China. I did a movie in China with uh, Tiger Chen, who who starred in The Man of Tai Chi, and I played the bad guy in that one. Uh and I'm back to China. I did a 30 episodic TV show with the same Hong Kong people, you know, that did The Matrix. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it just goes to show you that somewhere I'm still loved, and I'm actually supposed to go back to China again soon, probably in a couple of weeks. Uh, but in the meantime, all that time during that period, I was working on my character, uh, Bane. I was creating my own, you know, I had foresight, so I. I was like, I'm going to create a superhero, just something I want to do. Sure. And that has been a driving force that's been keeping me motivated as well as I pursue and do different movies. Because the movies were, if I can get my name out there more and more, it'll work just in time when I'm ready to do my own thing. And yeah. it's actually starting to pay off. So, I mean, Bane is all over Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's, 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 it's catching on like a firestorm. And, and what medium is this? Uh, supernatural horror. Okay, and and that's is that film? Is it? Uh... It's everything. Bane is oh, it's uh, a... video games, comic books. It'll be a okay, yeah, film. It's, it'll be... It's... So it's a multimedia yeah. universe. Oh yeah, well, not, that's the way I designed it. So you can, you Very know, cool. eventually you can well, get a graphic it. novel. You can get yeah, your, just... you can get your comic book. Bane. Well, Bane, Bane, Bane is a uh, is a hybrid. I created him actually during the nineties. I didn't really push him to like 2000, but he was a, a hybrid. He was the first werewolf and vampire created in that world. And okay. uh, it, it was kind of hard to get him out there because, one, he was, he's an African-American superhero. You know, he wore, an, he wore all white. He carried two battle axes with him, and he, you know, he battled the creatures of legend. He destroyed vampires and werewolves. So... Uh, it, it was really hard to, to get him out there because, you know, when I was having meetings with studios, they didn't really get the whole vampire werewolf thing. It didn't, they were always like vampire where That's no such thing. That's weird. You know, people won't accept yeah. that. Yeah. And uh, so that it was you either had to be human and werewolf or human and vampire. So I always had that fight every time I went into to meetings with, with them about, about Bane. Um, I went to Showtime and pitched it to them, and they loved it. But they were waiting for HBO, you know, to see what they were going to do. And HBO wound up doing this show called True Blood, which wiped Showtime off the map. And I told them, hey, I told you, you shouldn't have waited for them. We had this right here. 
Because Buffy was, remember Buffy the Vampire, sir? Hunter? Absolutely, sure. Right. That had just wrapped like its 100th episode, and I came right in the door with Bane. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I was I was really so far ahead of the game at that time. Um, I went to a few, you know, studios. Warner Brothers had it. Uh, but, I, you know, I guess it just wasn't time for Bane, which is good because now I look at wow, how much more I cultivated the character. And now it's, it's, it's good that people are talking about more about diverse characters, which is, is funny because we've always had diverse characters. But right now, people only know Blade. So it, it saddens my heart that every time you think, oh, supernatural vampire or werewolf, you think Blade. And it's like right. we have so, so many more characters than Blade. Like, you know, people need to see that we do, and which is why I've been really uh, gun-ho and been fighting to get Bane out there. Um, I would like to talk to you a little bit about that because um, just a little bit earlier, um, I was I was in chat at BlackScienceFictionSociety.com, and and there's the the constant drone of we have to make our own entertainment and stop relying on and being upset with mainstream Hollywood not portraying us in a positive light, not portraying us in a, in a realistic light, and and then if we want to have our own superheroes. You know, we have to do it at the behest of whatever mainstream culture dictates. So, so tell me a little bit, and, and actually tell everybody a little bit about the hurdle that you are having trying to promote, you know, essentially a black hero um, for, for mainstream entertainment. You know, you're not trying to go to BET. You're not trying to do a GoFundMe and just, you know, do that. It sounds very much to me like you're looking in terms of mainstream entertainment. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. Now, here's, the, here's, the, uh, here's both sides to that, to that sense. Uh, the whole, the one thing I hate hearing is, like, we all should do our own thing. We've all, we have been doing our own thing. We've always been doing our own thing. This is, people didn't just, people are not just, oh, guess what, I'm just going to do my own thing right now, and and they just come up with characters. No, there are people who've been out, like, for instance, and, and when I was doing extra work at the time, Kevin Grevix was doing Underworld, right? He had an idea for, I remember him talking about it on set, remember, because Kevin Grevix did the mask, he got the real deep voice like that. You know, Kevin talked yeah. about that. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Right, that's Kevin. <laughs> Kevin, you know, he was always like the, the big guy, and he would go after Jim Carrey, and he's done so much stuff. He's been on Batman, you know, when, uh, when, they, would, when they had... Uh, Val Kilmer, and that whole time when they were just slaughtering the Batman series. But, you know, all of us were, there were so many people out there with African-American characters. And it's just that nobody ever looks. There's so many websites donated to African-American characters and superheroes and villains that have full-fledged anthologies and mythologies and so much history, but no one ever looks. Mm -hmm, So... mm -hmm. They'll, and then, so it's it's hard for us to get out there if if the system is only pushing the Justice League, you know, or or, or or the Avengers, and if that's all they're pushing, forcing into the mainstream system, then that's all people are going to see. And right. when people like ourselves try to get out there, they don't let us because what they because I've been in meetings where they've loved Bane, the studios love Bane, but they want to make Bane white. I'm like, you crazy. That's not going to happen. 
That's not who he is. Right. He just he right. just totally he's from Siberia. There are no white people in Siberia. So no, right. you're not you're not doing that. So that 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 that's a hurdle that it's hard for me to overcome, but doesn't mean I can't overcome it. All it means is all right, I can't get into the front door. I'll just go around the side door. And if I can't get in through the side door, I'll just go down through the basement or just dig the tunnel. But I'm going to get in. Right. Now, the problem with black characters or African-American characters, and this is going to be so true when I tell you, you're going to be like, oh, my gosh. This is what I always felt. We as African-Americans need to stop focusing on making African-American characters out of anger. And we need to stop making African-American characters on an African-American level because you're, it's like you're forcing your race and your anger and your hostilities and your, uh, 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 your sensibilities onto people. And that's not what you want to do. What you want to do is you want to make an African-American character that's universal, meaning that when you develop your script, everybody's in your world because that's who you see. That's what it is. But see, what we do is we get angry and we start making these African-American superheroes, and it's just an all-black world. And it's like, okay, then you're doing exactly what the whites are doing. So you can't complain about what they're doing if you're going to turn around and do the same thing. Well, not only that, but you can't turn around and do the same thing without the capital. You know, white folks got a, a boatload of money to do whatever they want to do. We generally do not. So now, that, what, now, what now you, hold up. Let me stop you there. I had no capital when I made Bane. When I made Bane, I had passion and idea, and I, I forced it. And the social network this has been a great help. And I put it out there, and the more people saw it, and they were like, well, what is that about? And it's like, hey, my character's a hybrid. He's a vampire. He's a werewolf. He feeds through his hands. He's got these battle axes that turn into chains. He's this. He's that. And they're like, wow, and he's this different-looking character. I like it. And then people come on, hey, man, well, how about if I draw some stuff up for you? And so, hey, man, appreciate it. Sure. And so but, more and more people but, attach to that. Ahead. Now, right. once it starts to grow, which, is, which it has done, it's gotten so big. Now people are coming on, hey, man, let me uh, 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 do uh, some splash pages. Let me do a comic book. Or, you know, let me create a doll for you. Let me, you know, everybody wants to do so much for you to help you elevate that and that's without capital. That's just all love for the character that's been created and the passion yes. behind it. Yes, but, but even you have to admit that there is nothing average about what you did and there's nothing average about the approach you took. You know, um, the, the fact of the matter is a, a lot of people have tried to do what you do, and, and, and you, not, you and I both know that there's resistance you and I both know that there's going to be challenges, and, and a lot of people would not have been as persistent and certainly not as successful as you were. And, and what you said is exactly what I've been telling black folks a long time. And, you know, even though, even though you know, I got this Japanese last name, you know, I, 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 the work that I do, I do screenplays and I do novels, and I just finished a trilogy, and, and you don't know me at all, but my trilogy has to do with what happens in America when the country finds out black folks have been secretly living on the backside of the moon since before Neil Armstrong got there. Now, right. it's, a uni- it's a unique plot, and I wrote it not just for black folks. I wrote a good story 
that had black people in it, but there it but it's universal because you that, said it. You that's, just said it. You said it. it you are so brilliant. You are so brilliant. It, oh no, it's it's just uh, it's just being around the house with the ankle bracelet. I got a lot of time to. Think. <laughs> but, but you you but, said but, it. You said it right. You got to make movies with black people in it. You got to create stories with black people in it. That's how it becomes universal. Right, and you have to portray them not as black people, and I was making those air quotes, not right. not because they're black people in air quotes and thrusting themselves into a viewer or a consumer's face, but the fact that they're black people who happen to be in the story and live demonstrably or or act demonstrably as we do. And the thing is, we don't act... You know, I don't leave the house, okay, yeah, I'm a Japanegro, but I don't leave the house with a black chip on my shoulder or a Japanese chip on my shoulder. I leave the house as William. I go do my work as William. William happens to be black. William happens to write black stories. You know, and I think you're, you know, as you said, your approach is exactly right. And and the one thing that I tell other people who ask me, okay, you're fairly successful with what you've done, what's the deal? And and the deal is write a good story. If you don't have a good story, it doesn't matter what color the people are. So I I believe that you have to be invested in the quality of your art, regardless of the color, in order to to get the kind of mainstream success that you are getting. Uh, isn't that kind of how you pushed yours forward? You weren't just saying, oh, this is a black character only for black people, whatever, you were invested in telling a good story, right? Yeah, when I when I created Bane, I was just thinking, man, half werewolf, half vampire, oh man, this would be awesome, and this is how I see him, and, and if you kind of look at Bane, uh-huh. you can almost see the old Kung Fu 70s in him, right? He has a long white outfit, you know, that flaps in the wind, and he carries two big battle axes. I mean, it's pretty much like right. those right. Chinese movies. But it was just all about all the cool stuff that I could just do and the big world I could create with him just fighting werewolves and, you know, all these vampire powers and all the cool flips and all the stuff. And it never occurred to me that he was black when I was making him. It just occurred to me that he was a cool character. And he was doing cool things that appeal to mainstream consumers. Consumers, kids, my nephews, nieces, their friends right. all love Bane. They wear my Bane T-shirts. It's it's just everything. I mean, it's 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 and here's and also I thought it out when I created Bane. I created it from an audience perspective because I am the audience. I grew up on this, so I didn't create it from a financial. I'm doing this by the numbers. No, I thought about oh wow. So we need to have it. Really needs to be everybody. Like I just thought of all my friends. So all my friends are going to be in Bane. So they're all going to be different characters in Bane. They're going to be all my friends. You know, and all my friends are Asian. You know. Uh, from India, uh, uh, just all over. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. my my background is my 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 dad's Apache and Blackfoot. You know what I mean? I have an Asiatic mother. You know what I mean? My grandfather's Irish. You know, so I have I have this history, and all that is, you know, cultivated in, in into Bane. Bane is from Siberia. Who would have thought Bane uh, character would be from Siberia? Yeah, well, he's from Siberia. <laughs> you know, so it just my mindset is we have to stop with uh, first pay attention to mainstream. And I just want to say this real quick. Mainstream, uh, or, or the comment Michelle Rodriguez made, she made 
the right comment, but in the wrong context. But okay. at the end of the day, we didn't steal anything. We can't steal anything from them. They give it to us. And the reason why they give it to us is economics. Change it to black people or black characters or African-American characters, we get African-American money. Right. Uh, put a black person in there so the NAACP doesn't knock on our door and affirmative action. <laughs> that's the only, I'm telling you, that's the only reason why, me personally, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't want to see, my, and Michael Clark Duncan was my man. We came up in the industry together. We did our Kelly music videos together. Like, we started at the bottom. Me, Derek, Luke, all of us, Jimin, all of us started at the bottom as extras. But I don't want to see them in superhero roles that are not for African Americans. If I grew up with Nick Fury, started out as an old white cat, then that's what he should be. If Spider-Man has been Peter Parker for 50 fucking years, don't make him African American just for the sake of making him African American. To me, that's bull crap. There's so many African American characters actually in the Marvel Universe. Just grab some of the B characters or, or your C characters and turn it into a movie. If you could do it with Blade, then why can't you do it with everything else? Well, you know what it, I mean? And it still, it, yeah, absolutely. It still comes back to storytelling. You know, even even if you have B-list characters, if you tell a good story, people are going to like. Look at Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, nobody, nobody really read that comic. I mean, when you look at the numbers for the comic. Um, it was not a high readership comic. But what they did was they turned it into a semi-epic uh, uh, movie, and all you know, they told an entertaining story. I won't say it's a good story. It's a, it's a very standard story. But they made it entertaining, and people watched it. So I, marketing you're, you're marketing abs- was great. They, they marketed abs- the hell oh, out absolutely. of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if it wasn't for the marketing, they made it seem bigger than what it was. Because Guardian of the Galaxy is not even big in the comic book world at all. Like, right. who are these people? Like, like, nobody really cares about you. You guys show up every now and then, do a few things, and you're gone. But who cares? And right. the marketing made it seem like the Guardians of the Galaxy is the biggest thing since the galaxy. <laughs> I'm like, okay, but you <laughs> well, can do that for Guardians of the Galaxy, but you can't do that for all these other characters we have in the Marvel Universe. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. And and you know the other complaint that people have is they they bitch about the black characters that are in these mainstream stories, you know. Okay, so uh, what's his name? Is, is Hawk getting his own movie from uh, Captain America? Who Falcon? I don't keep up with. Yeah, Falcon. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, did I see that he was going to be? Is he going to be headlining in his own movie or not? There was some brouhaha uh, about that. I don't keep track because because I don't care until they come out. Um, but, but, you know, people, people, black folks have a constant complaint about, oh, who's doing this and who's doing that, and, oh, this person's not realistic, and, oh, they should make so-and-so black, they should do this, they should do that. And, and like you said, it's all about the storytelling. You know, tell a good story, put some black folks in it as, as they are, and, and it, I think that's fine. Um, so what you know what you, you know what you're saying is, oh, is, is here's a good example of what you're saying. So for uh, in case our listeners you know get a little sidetracked, it's a French guy comes to America to be an actor. You right. force him to speak English in a role. Don't force him to speak English because you're not going to get the best out of him. Let him be right. who he is. If he speaks French, you'll get a phenomenal performance that you probably would have never even imagined. And it's the same with us. Stop switching us into uh, 
a white characters. There's characters just make us a part of the story, and we'll do the work. You know, right. it's like the Matrix. Put me in this situation, I'll get the job done. Yeah. You know, you'll make me a hero. <laughs> you know, once I get the job done. And, sure. and 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 like you said, you don't leave the house with that chip on the shoulder. I don't leave the house with that chip on the shoulder. I understand that racism exists. I understand Hollywood is Hollywood, and I also understand it's Hollywood, and that's their machine. That's their business. That's how they run it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we. As an African American culture, I believe have been brainwashed to the point that we we will never support each other. But if you get the right support under enough of us, we can fix the world. Yes, that's and that's true. what I believe. Well, I I have what I have said is that um, we have been conditioned not to cooperate with each other. I mean, for 400 years in this country, we've been conditioned not to cooperate with each other. We don't see black firms merge. We don't see black filmmakers come together to do a $100 million movie because none of them are ever going to get $100 million on their own. Spike Lee will never do a $100 million movie. Maybe Tyler Perry will because he's got his own studio and he might be able to self-fund. But, you know, if we're going to do these big epic movies, uh, you know, tell a good story, try to get some mainstream money. I was disappointed that uh, George Lucas could not get funding for Red Tails. And I don't know if, you know, it was kind of a weak screen. Well, what do you mean you weren't disappointed? I wasn't disappointed. Uh, Yes, because it just showed me that, and and before George Lucas even tried to get, before we even knew he tried to get money and got turned down, this was amazing. Like, as soon as I found out George Lucas is doing uh, Red Tails, I automatically right. knew that even if I'm going to try to give Hollywood the benefit of the doubt and just give them a little bit of props that they'll make this happen, but I'm pretty sure that if there's no white cast there, we won't get jacked. And sure enough, <laughs> after George Lucas went and he, he threw down with the studios and it finally came out, George Lucas asked the studio for money, and they said if he don't put no white people in it, it's not going to do well. I was like, see, right. even when I try to give Hollywood the benefit of the doubt, they never fail. <laughs> you know what they, I mean? So they, it's like, yeah, they always, they always live down to your expectations. Right, exactly. So that's why I was not disappointed. I was like, come on. It's an all-black film about them telling a story that they didn't want to tell. They didn't want the world to see that it was actually black airmen that handled business. They don't want the world to know that. No, and, and you know what? People say, well, it, that's Hollywood, but I think that's, that's indicative of larger culture. You look at all of these white legislatures and school boards across the South who are trying to erase slavery from the, uh, the textbooks, trying to erase the fact that they dropped nuclear weapons on my relatives in uh, Japan. They're trying to erase the fact that they, you know, whatever is uncomfortable, they don't want to deal with it. They want to pretend it never happened. That's so, called accountability. Uh, yeah, right. Exactly. All right, so, okay, so... Um, hang on a second. Uh, you're listening to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. And if you haven't logged on and checked out checked out the uh, the content there, there is some of the most creative content there. Uh, let's see what I coined the phrase: the vanguard of a new millennium in science fiction, fantasy, and horror. 
uh, a lot of the people there who have contributed are, as you know, as you would say, China, they have great entertainment, which could be fully mainstream if somebody could discover this. So everybody check that out, log on, tell your friends, what have you. Um, one of the things that I, I'm curious about for, from your perspective is, you know, now you've gone into this, this uh, you know, I'm not going to call it multimedia because, of course, the buzzword today is you've got this transmedia universe that you've put together. Um, and, and it is obviously starting to pick up some steam. What do you see as kind of like the driving force? Is it really the popularity of what you put together that's kind of pulling these people together to want to help not only create this universe but move it forward? Um, or, or is it, I mean, they, they have to be invested creatively. But are a lot of these people seeing that this may be, uh, to use the same word, the vanguard of where a certain amount of money may be going in entertainment in the in the near future, and so they're kind of globbing on, trying to get get in on on the ground floor. What are you seeing as the the, the prime motivator for the the majority of the people who are helping you move move this this uh, this entire transmedia universe forward? Um, so far, uh, uh, everybody who has come on board to help with me has never uh-huh. asked for a dime. They never asked for a dime. Um, they're always fascinated uh, how I keep consistent content coming out and how I'm always elevating the character and, 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 and making it visually stimulating and exciting to them. Sure. Uh, I think they also see uh, how I'm delivering on the character. Because when I, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't just create a character and I'm going to go, okay, here's a superhero and just, here's his bio and then there he is and I'm going to make a comic book. I mean, I use every aspect of Bane. Uh, when he first got his axes, he got an emblem, you know, his family emblem uh, that was given to him by his surrogate father. So that emblem, okay. you know, I, I turned into a belt buckle. Uh, I put it on a T-shirt. Um, his axes have designs on the silver axes. And those silver axes, um, I actually used them on, on T-shirts and hats and, and other things and made it turn it into casual wear. So people can visually see, like, wow, Bane is so much more than just this guy who can just slash werewolves. And it's, 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 and I make Bane feel more like a universal character and not an African-American character. So sure. he's just cool just by the way he looks. You know, you look at him right. and that guy looks cool. Yeah, and that's just it. And, that's, and that, there's nothing more. And my passion behind him is, universal. It's not for self. It's not because, well, I'm going to kick the hell out of Marvel, you know, in D.C. I don't care about Marvel in D.C. I, I grew right. up with Marvel in D.C. I, I, I'm a 60s baby, so I've seen every Sesame Street Spider-Man, every Spider-Man movie, cartoon, any, if Stan Lee had a thought and he breathed it, I probably saw it. So I don't, I'm not really a fan of Marvel anymore like I was as a child, but now it's like I need to create my own comic book company, which, you know, what I'm doing is called Silver Axe Comics. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, I think I grabbed the world as well because vampires and werewolves will never die. That's forever. So I made sure I left into a world that people, kids, uh, uh, adults, young teens, young adults, they all love, they all love the supernatural. You cannot go wrong with that. But you have to learn how to give it to them. If you know how to give it to them, They'll love it. 
So if you could take all the cool Matrix stuff or the cool the Avengers stuff that they do today and the, 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 all the, the fancy and put that in this kind of movie, what do you think it's going to do at the box office? It's going to be amazing because mm-hmm. that's what they want to see. They want to see somebody who can fly around. They want to see somebody who can throw a car through a building and, and, and you know, throw his axe at high speed and cut a werewolf in half. And then they want to see all this flying martial art kicking. They want, they want to see all that, so you give it to them. If you get people right. what they ask for, you cannot go wrong. But if you go yeah, in there I mean, with, with, I'm going to give you what I want you to have, you're going to have issues. So that's, that's the thing. You know, there, there are a lot of black artists out there who, who do not, they don't care about the audience's perspective. I've had people say directly to me, you know, I don't care what other people think. I'm just going to write what I want to write. And, and I made the mistake of saying to somebody, well, then how are you going to, you know, I hope you enjoy your diary. You know, and that's what it is. That's not a mistake. What yeah. you said, that's the truth. Like you, yeah. you, you, it, 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 it's, how can I say it? It's just like real life. You don't want to force your religion and your beliefs and your sensibilities on the other people. You can introduce mm-hmm. them to other people, but never mm-hmm. force. So like Bane is not forced on anybody. I create Bane. Like I said, when the first thing I said to you was what the audience perspective i see it from them if i don't like it and i've said it i've sat in the movie theater with audiences and booed like they booed and hissed and cheered at the same time they cheered so i know what they like because i'm there i am them i walk in their shoes because i am them so if i make something i'm making something for them not for me right so every time they say something i'm concerned okay yeah and those criticisms that black folks lay on black creatives like well, you know, uh, uh, you know, why are you why are you writing for the mainstream? You know, why don't you why don't you focus on just black folks? And and my my answer to that is, what I'm doing is an entrepreneurial business. My writing is an entrepreneurial business, and if I want to make money with my entrepreneurial business, I am not going to just sell what it is that I'm selling. To, to left-handed piano tuners, okay? I, I'm going to want to sell to the widest possible market that I can get so that as many people see it as possible. And, and, and some people just don't get that. You know, they're, they're so, I don't know what to say, man. Sometimes I just have to turn my back and go, well, good luck with that. Well, they need to understand that uh, from as creative artists, uh, the, you know, this is just for me telling everybody out there in the world, Sure. The fact that I said this is me telling everybody out in the world goes to show you that we live in a world. So right. I don't want to create a character that's going to be only for a small percentage of the population. So whether mm-hmm. I make a character and I only made, I only made an Asian character that's only for the Asian population, why would I do that when there's an entire world that one day I may travel to? I may travel to India and the people from India be like, well, what is this Asian character? You know what I mean? And it, it, you cut yourself off. Don't ever cut yourself off from the world. Once you say, I'm going to make a black character for black people, you have just put a nail in your coffin. You have cut well, yourself you, off. Yeah, you, you, what you said is, oh, I'm going to do something that can only be appreciated by 12% of the people in my own country. Agreed. And I, you know, I don't, I don't get it. Um, and that's, let's, that's let's, not the direction. Go ahead. 
<clears throat> yeah. Uh, so, um, tell, okay, you've talked about the great things, the people coming together to, to help move this forward, the fact that none of them want money because they are invested in, in, in the universe, in the reality. In the dream. And, and the, yeah, exactly. I was just about to say that. And the dream. Um, let us know about, I mean, have you experienced any setbacks, no matter how minor, or, or have you maybe gone up a, a path that you decided was not going to be fruitful and had to reevaluate? Um, has any of that happened in, in, the, um, in the pantheon of your experiences uh, putting together the Bain universe? Oh, and for people who want to know, it's not B-A-I-N, it's B-A-Y-N-E. So right. you're going to do some searching, you're going to do some looking up. Um, actually, you could go to uh, China McCoy, C-H-Y-N-A-M-C-C-O-Y dot Wix dot com slash Bane, B-A-Y-N-E dash reborn to uh, check, out, uh, check out some pretty good stuff. Um, yeah, and if they yeah, want to, so, they want to look at the more animated version. They can go to Bane Legacy Apocalypse dot Weebly dot com. Pretty cool. So that's, All right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the other one, uh, the thing, yeah. Ha, have you talk about some of you know any negative aspects, anything that you've observed? Obviously, we we know about the the trials and tribulations of Hollywood, but um, what else might you have experienced to kind of let people know what they might want to look out for? Um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, well, that's, it's, it's kind of hard to say because I, I really haven't experienced setbacks from, you know, from other people's perspective. What I mean is everybody has different characters, you know, African-American characters, so they all may be accepted differently. Right. Um, I would say the only setbacks that I've really had is, you know, People go on. Uh, well, they're not. They may not be ready for this kind of character, or uh, isn't you know, or isn't there a character already like him called Blade? And, you know, I always run into that. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you if you ever make a character that's in this, this is what I hate. When we make African American characters, we always have limitations because if you make an African American character, and maybe he's called Nightbreed, and first thing someone does is. Oh, they already have a black character like that called Black Panther. And it's just like, wait, these two characters are nothing alike. But, you know, we don't get room to move around. Right. And so that's always been my setback. Uh, not too much. I think out of 100%, I can say only 5% would say, oh, he's like, he's like Blade. And it's like, no, he's not like Blade because it's, you're telling me because he's like Blade is saying that all black people look alike. You know, and it kind of throws them off, like, oh, shit, did I just say that? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean like that. And it's like, oh, you did. So you're saying the only thing you know is Blade, and because my character is a werewolf, he's like Blade. How did you compare those two? Right. Well, does he fight vampires? Well, okay, yeah. Next, where else can you go except for they're both black? (laughs) You see what I'm saying? So I'm still going to get you trapped in a corner. So you got to think about what you say instead of just looking at the character as a standalone. Mm-hmm. You know, Blade has a sword. Bane has axes. Blade runs around, you know, shooting guns. Bane doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, Blade is, you know, utilitarian with his, you know, uh, 
military type style dress wear, Bane is casual. Blade has tattoos and a, a, a afro, Bane is bald. You know, they're just totally two separate individuals who do two totally separate things. Yeah, so but, it, I mean, a lot of people get stuck with that that whole log line mentality. You know, uh, when when they go, oh, it's like Ricky and Lucy, but only in uh, 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 Lusitania. You know, when when they when they try to reduce it down to whatever that 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 one sentence pitch, and and you're right. You know, then then you you know you get to blow up their racism about that because you go, okay, so this is, you know, because of your inability to have more imagination than that, or to accept something that's different rather than automatically pigeonholing it um you you don't realize what you've said to me right and and, I, and you know what and that's not even a, and to be honest with you uh-huh it's not even a setback you know when i think about it it's actually a blessing because what that does it it forces me to keep elevating bane even higher and it gives me the, the driving force to go it doesn't matter what you say in the end you're going to be my fan. It doesn't matter what you say in the end, you're eventually going to like this character. It's going to be one of those characters where, oh, man, I didn't like him at first because I thought he was like this, but, wow, this character's awesome. Like, now I have all his toys and, and comic books and his pictures on the wall. Like, uh, now Bane is the character that everybody draws for free because, you know, when you mm-hmm. try to get people to do stuff for you, nobody wants to do anything, but yet you'll sit around and draw Marvel and DC all day long for free. But as soon as you <laughs> yeah. say, hey, man, can you drop a, do a character for me? You want to charge me my soul and my kid's soul, <laughs> you know? Right. And I'm like, I just watched you drop 18 pictures all day of Wolverine and the Hulk. And now you want to charge me, like, you know, the same amount of money I would pay for a Rolls Royce? No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so, but, you know, so Bane is going to become one of those characters that they'll no longer be drawing Wolverine and Hawks, they'll be drawing Bane characters, trying to get people mm-hmm. to get commissions off of Bane. And my mm-hmm. job would be done because now I'm helping the world make money. Right. You know. Well, so and, once and again, that's the bottom line, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not in it for self. I'm in it for everyone. So as long as I'm in it for everyone, it, it, it gives me that much more uh, a passion because I want to make sure everybody's happy and I want to make sure everybody loves this and I want to make sure – Kids, when the kids go to the Halloween store, they get their little foam rubber axes and they get to walk around in their little white outfits and cool glasses and, you know, and then adults yeah. can wear to parties and be, you know, like say if they want to go to a Halloween party, they want to be slick and they want to be cool, they can wear the outfit as well in that manner, more on a mature level. So I'm trying to cover mm-hmm. all areas. Um, just out of curiosity about how long are we looking about the mainstream realism, well, as much as it is, the mainstream realization of the character. Are we talking a, a handful of years? Uh, that's kind of hard to say. I just had a, a, a meeting today with some uh, fellow producers, and uh, they're pretty much tied into a, a, a good source and system of actually bringing Bane uh, to life in a feature film. And, okay. you know, they're trying, to, they're trying to do that like yesterday. So, okay. you know, they, they saw my business plan and they, they, they said how thorough and, and, and uh, professional the package was. You know, they've seen all my work. Um, and, you know, it's like, it's like that, uh, what's that 
car, uh, not not the cartoon, but what's that scene in Family Guy when he was his one side half was drooling and he went to uh, he went to get some stem cells. He went in and came back out, and they go, "Why is not anyone financing this?" So that was. <laughs> That's how they look at my project. They say your project is like stem cell research. Like, why is no one financing this? We got to get this out today. Yeah. So, yeah, you and know, I, and my comic book to... should be out in June. So uh, we're, work, okay. we're pushing for June in the, on the comic book. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, and um, be sure when, when you're, whenever you have a milestone, any kind of milestone, or you're going to do an appearance, um, drop in at BSFS and put it on the events calendar. Because you're in L.A. There's a ton of BSFS members in L.A. Um, and if you put things on the calendar, if somebody's got nothing to do for a weekend, they go look at the calendar and they see that you've got some things going on, they'll probably show up. So if, if, if you would kindly do that, that would help. Well, it helps everybody because, you know, we all want to have support, you know? Right. And then the other thing, the reason why I was asking was are, uh, how soon before you think we're going to see a bunch of Bane folks dressed up, you know, doing cosplay at some of these um, conventions? Well, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I'm trying to, hey, as soon as the comic book drops, uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to make everything happen, like, before the year is done. I mean, I'm, sure. I'm that passionate about what I'm doing and, 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 and how much I'm trying to get out. I mean, I was one of the first people who actually cosplayed my own character when I went to the San Diego Comic-Con. Um, they gave me credit for originality, original weapons, and every time they asked, so many people kept saying, who are you? You know, he got these mm-hmm, things, mm-hmm. and I would tell everybody, and they were like, we never heard of him, and I was like, because he's a new character coming to the, to the world, and I'm at the San Diego Comic Con, everybody there is either Aquaman, Superman, Wonder Woman, or, or some Japanese anime character, and I was the only one there cosplaying my own character. So mm-hmm, I thought mm-hmm. that, was, that, was, that was a wonderful thing that I, I was able to have that title. So and, now and, and your, get the and world. your reception was good. Your you, the reception that you got for the character was good. Um, it sounds. Oh good. yes, the reception was like, wow, we can't wait to see. You know, and I'm twirling the axes and I'm telling them how the axes work and you know how the axes come apart to a chain axe and how the lichen tooth at the bottom shoots out uh, multiple tooth like a you know like bullets and you know right. they're just so fascinated and they'd be like, well, where the axes go? And I put it, I told them you know I put it on the side of my hips because I had. Uh, Velcro, so I could Velcro the axis to my hips, and then I would pull my coat over the axis so you couldn't see him. They were like, "Wow, mm-hmm. it's like an old gunslinger!" And I'm like, "Yeah, I just whip the shirt back <laughs> and pull the axis off, and I go to town with what I do." And they were like, "We love this." So it was the the reception for Bane was overwhelming, which made me, you know, that just gave me more hope to go back. Oh, absolutely! Harder. Yeah, I mean, that, the encouragement that you get from that. Um, that that's got to be a pretty good high to be uh, to to leave the convention on. Well, you're talking about the comic cons. Well, it's not like we're not talking about like a backyard party. You're talking about these people are the most critical people in the world. You know, some people call them fanboys. Some people call them hardcore fans. And these are the same people that are saying what you got right there is awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, so and, and, and it's just a great thing on Twitter. This is how I test Bane. I'll send Bane to Japan on Twitter and I'll send all my pictures or whatever to Japan Manga. Japanese okay. respond great. I send Bane to 
uh, all the because uh, I have a list, and one of my lists is cosplay fans. So I send Bane to all the cosplay people on my list. So you know, there's a long list of cosplays from Boston to wherever, all over the world, India, you name it. That's where I send Bane to. And the responses that come back is great. This is cool. This is awesome. This is exciting. Why wow, I can't wait to see this. What is this? Wow. You know, where can I get this? And this is all over. And this is from cosplay people mm-hmm. from all over. So, you know, you, you, you test your waters with the cosplay fans, you know you know when you got something. Because they'll yeah, tear you apart. This, yeah, they're like wolves. Be, they'll tear you apart. Yeah, and this should be a cautionary note for people who are looking, you know, at, at ways of promoting their own work. If you right. If you have great work, this is where social media does work very, very well. You know, it's not like it's not like Facebook. Facebook, you're basically talking to people who already know you. But to get on these lists and to send your work out and then, you know, to, to sit back and watch and see what the reaction is, um, that's probably one of the best ways of finding out, you know, that, that's almost like a test to destruction if, if you're not doing well. You know, if what you have, have done is not that great. But it, it sounds to me like your your rollout this summer should be very, very successful. Yeah. And you gotta have no you gotta have no fear. Like I have no fear of taking it to these people. You know, I'm one of those people like if you like it or not, I'm still putting it out. <laughs> you know, so eventually you'll like it or you'll just hate it. But I'm not gonna stop the dream. Like I'm not gonna stop all the blood, sweat and tears I put into this. But I'm not afraid to throw my character into a water with piranhas and sharks. And if they eat it I'm going to be even more happy. So if piranhas and sharks turn down some food, you know you should stop. <laughs> All right. So, so you know, um, you, you've got this creative universe. You're going to be busting out the comic in, uh, in, in, uh, during the summer. Um, what, other part, what other transmedia events or transmedia uh, circumstances are you going to be exploiting this year? Um, I mean, honestly, um, since I created Bane, I've been exploring all of them. I mean, I've sent Bane out to Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, Adult Swim. Uh, I hit up all the uh, video game platforms to get a video game made. So, like I said, we're in a process right now of actually developing uh, the final business plan to take in to the video game companies to make Bane a video game. So, I mean, Bane is... Is, is is on every platform. Um, uh, I'm even trying to get uh, some artists to draw me up uh, Bane for Nickelodeon because I want to make it. Remember Jackie Chan Great Adventures? I love Jackie Chan Great Adventures. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, that was right, a lot of fun. Right, those were the great Saturday mornings. So it's like I'm even trying to touch back on getting Saturday morning cartoons exciting again. You know, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to... <laughs> Get get artists to come on board and 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 do something for the kids on that level, you know, where mm-hmm. it has morals and and some sort of, you know, make sure you eat your vegetables at the end of the cartoon and stuff like that. So uh, I'm trying. To, I'm 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 actually really trying to get Bane on every platform available, whether it's from and- a lunchbox to a web series to a TV show. It's created to be that way. It's created to be on every platform. Right. And when you talk about um, a, a Bane 
video game? Are you talking about a uh, mobile device-based game, a PC-based console? What are you looking at? The, all, the, that, that whole platform. You can all play it platforms. on your cell phone. You can play it on the PC, and you can get it for PlayStation, you know, so on every platform. Yeah, this is, this you know, people should pay attention to this because if, if you're going to be invested in a universe and you want that universe out there and you want to, I mean, everybody should be doing this to make money, then, then the other thing that you said that most people do not do, most black folks don't write a business plan. And, oh, yeah, that's uh, the first thing I did. That's the first thing I yeah. learned. I was like, what is PowerPoint? And when I learned what PowerPoint was, I was like, what can you do on this? <laughs> I was like, wow, I could probably put all my Bane stuff on here and just make my own little package. And right. it's been on and, since then. Like, I discover. I like to discover. You should be a discoverer if you're going to be a creative artist. Well, and I, I talk about the 80-20 rule where um, where 80% of what you do as, as a creative entrepreneur is, is about the business of doing business. And the 20% is your artistic part because the business part is huge and, and you cannot skimp on that and you cannot, you cannot minimize what has to be done. You know, like you said, you know, you said, okay, what's PowerPoint? What's uh, what's uh, what's Excel for keeping track of where my money should be going, where it should be coming from? You know, all of those things are people just have no idea. They they tend to not want to think about that as being a necessary component to doing business. And um, you know, I, I people have no idea. You know, and and I hate to talk to black folks who say, hey. I want to start a business, or I want to do this, or I want to do that. And I'll go, well, have you done a business plan? Well, no, I haven't done one. Are you going to do one? Well, not really, because I don't know how. You know, and, and I think that the, the fact that you're going to be an entrepreneur means that you should be a student for life. You know, you should be learning new things all the time. And things change so much. So you're going to have to figure out those. I mean, look at you. When you talk about a multimedia universe like yours, you know, in End-user devices are going to be different. Uh, the consoles are going to change. All of these things are going to change. You know, even what's popular in the movies are going to change. But it sounds to me like you are always going to be on top of those changes because you're, you're serious about doing business. Yeah, when I did my first business plan, it was on Microsoft Word. I had no idea, like, okay, Microsoft Word, how does this work? And this was before the Internet was the Internet, pretty much. Is like, I mean, now there's no reason. You go to Google Wiki, you can just type in, I need a business plan template, and they'll just give you the whole template, and all you got to do is remove whatever's on there and just copy and paste your information in it. But when I was doing it, I had to actually find the software, get it, download it, figure out how to use it. And then I was like, wow, you can put pictures on this piece of paper. You know what I mean? You can make watermarks on Microsoft. I was like, wow, this thing is incredible. And my first business plan for Bain is I still have it. It's on Microsoft Word uh, Mm -hmm. back then. Now, here's something that's going to sound funny to a lot of people, but I'm not in this business, and I, I didn't create Bain for financial gain. And I believe, this is just my personal belief, I believe I have come as far as I have with what I've been doing because I'm not in it for the money. Because okay. I'm not in it for the money, it allows my passion to be unlimited. It allows the power of my creativity to be unlimited. See, what happens is, and you, you may agree with me, when you do something because, okay, I need to come up with something because this would be a great, this will make a lot of money, you limit yourself because you're only thinking of a 
quick ways to make money from what you are creating. If you are creating something out of the love and out of the passion, then your creativity is, there is no limit. It's infinite. But once you put money on, once you put, once you do it for money, the sole purpose is money, more than likely you'll, you'll probably fail. Because, I mean, I can come up with a lot of money schemes just to get money, but in the end, if I'm not passionate about it, I won't even stick with it long enough for it to work. I, so, I get what you're saying. Um, and and to a large point, uh, point, I think you're probably right. But sometimes it's not impossible to to really to really want to move forward on your dream and then figure out how, you know, at least some revenue can come from this. Yeah, but see what you just said? You said yes. see how it's possible to move forward on your dream and then see how the revenue, see how you put the money second? No, I agree. No, no, no. I, I agree entirely with you. No, no, no. Um, you know, when I became an author, uh, unlike every other black author in Chicago, I was writing story a, a story that I thought would have some long-term traction. I didn't see it as a get-rich-quick scheme, unlike every other author in Chicago back in the 2000s who said, I'm going to write a book, and then I'm going to get Oprah to put it on her show. Not happening. You know, every single black author I met in Chicago, with almost without exception, that was their plan. You know, and, and, and like you said, it's not happening. It's, you know, if, that, if, if that's your prime motivator, you're absolutely right. You, you are limiting yourself and limiting your creativity and limiting your scope from the very beginning. And, and, and you're doomed to fail. Yeah. So, you're doomed to fail. Um, and that's why what yeah. Bain, Bain has done, Bain has been successful because I never cared about revenue. I cared about creating something for kids, young adults, and, and adults like myself, something that we could just get into and just have fun. And right. it, because of that passion, it has drawn so many great artists and, and, and people to it. And it's, it's getting fan bases from artists and, and writers. I, I've, had, I've had people on Twitter who actually write and illustrate for Marvel and DC send me inbox messages of how uh, fantastic and great and epic that character is far more than what they've seen in a long time. So sure. that, that, that's great for me. Like, wow, you took time to tweet me back. Like, you know, should you be illustrating your next uh, book? You know, but, you know, they're, they're taking their time out to, to show Bane love. So I think this character is... No, it, yeah, it definitely sounds like you, you have, you, you hit on a creative formula and, and the things that I think people should take part about is you created a great you're you're telling a great story about a great character and it's not it's not like oh i'm i'm telling a black story you're telling an entertaining story you know one right. that that has universal appeal and it just so happens that uh somebody is darker than harry belafonte you know it's not like you set out oh i'm going to create this great black thing it, it's it's circumstance and it's story and and what people tend to lose track of is your story has to be entertaining. Otherwise, it's uh, what's the point? I don't understand what the point is. You know, 
um, even even the people who wrote the Bible knew that in, cer- in certain circumstances, it has to be entertaining. It has to be something that people are going to want to read or want to talk about. So every you know everyone who wants to tell a story has to they have to. I I don't see how they can avoid it. They have to have the motivation to want to make that story um, popular, make that story have have some meaning to the people who read it. You know um, what the problem so, is, and this is just for the audience. <clears throat> right. This this is something that people should really think about. Uh huh. We're not. We're not the pre-existing entity that are making uh, the money machines that are making all this this revenue. We're not them. We are the babies of them. And this is what people need to realize. As babies, we have to crawl. We have to walk. We have to learn to talk. We have to learn to process. We have to learn to uh, t- take in. And then we have to learn to... Uh, Distinguish right from wrong and good from uh, good from bad. Uh, you know, just and we don't do that. What we do is we look at the Marvels, the DCs. We look at, let's say, the right now. What's the biggest show? The uh, the cable show that just went huge, Empire, right? Mm-hmm. And now all these people are like, yeah, I got TV shows just like Empire, and other, and it's just going to be just as huge as Empire. And it's like this is what everyone is missing. Marvel didn't start out. Marvel. DC didn't start out DC. Image Comics, Dark Horse, they didn't start out that way. They started out in a little room in the closet trying to get their first couple of characters out. Rob Liefeld, they all started out in the garage or, you know, in the kitchen and, and, you know, they sat around in their cars trying to get their characters right and erasing and trying to sell their first comic and failed miserably. So what people do is they look at the success of Marvel or DC or Image or Dark Horse or any of the the, the, the money-making machines and go, oh, that's me. No. If that was you, it would already be happening. No, what you need to do is you need to experience strife. You need to experience pain. You need to sweat blood. You need the tears. You need to kick your computer and throw it out the window because you're mad. Now you got to buy a new one. You know what I mean? You got to put in overtime because you want to invest in something. You got to do the steps that these super giants have already done, which is why they became super giants. And and I think that's the problem. A lot of artists and creators start off thinking that they are already mega entities, and you're not. Or or they 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 believe that you can become a mega entity without putting in the fifteen to twenty years, effort, the time and effort to be so. You know, like these black authors here in Chicago. Oh yeah, I'm going to get Oprah to do my book, and then I'll be I'll be on you know I'll be J.K. Rowling after that. Um, but, but but you know what? Yeah. Even if they if let's just take J.K. You can be J.K., but before you be, be become J.K., how about you go on Google and research his early life and see all the shit he went through? Yeah, she you know lived I mean? in her car. She lived in her car. So what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to go live in your car and, and not know where your next meal is in order to, to follow her success? Or, or are you going to find your own chart, your own way to success and, and put in the sweat equity to get there? And you know what? I don't know if uh, 
you guys have been keeping track of my my story on uh, especially on Facebook with Life Behind the Grind. I don't know if y'all knew anything about that. I don't know if Jarvis ever seen anything about that. But uh, Life Behind the Grind is all about me grinding in Hollywood and sleeping in my truck while I'm making it. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? And this is all while yeah. I'm doing Bane and the whole nine. Like, you know, so if, you know, she's doing it, that's something I'm already, you know, doing. Like, I'm doing whatever right. it takes to get this done. Right. That's the point, whatever it takes. Um, and, and, you know, you have to be able to deal with rejection, too. You know, I have people who ask me, hey, can you read my stuff and tell me what you think? And then when I tell them what I, what I think, if I think there's a weakness here or you should change it, then they're all upset and they just walk away because they don't want to know what I think. They just want a cheerleader. And that's, that's, <laughs> uh, that, that's the B side of success. The, B, the A side is doing something well. The B side is being able to listen to a critique of what you've done, and if you do have a weakness, address that so that you have the best possible product out there. Um, you know, did you, did you have any conceptual setbacks when you started creating this character that you, you might have had to reverse on or improve upon? Or did you, are you one of those lucky rare people who you just decided, oh, this is what it's going to be, and then it was just perfect from the beginning? <laughs> I, I knew it would make sometimes. you laugh. I knew it would make you laugh, but I had to ask. Sometimes, I, I mean, I just hate you for asking me that because I don't really want to say this on the radio because <laughs> people are going to be like, I just hate China. But, yes, I was one of the very few who actually – now, when I first drew my character Bane, right. I drew I drew Bane first. Like, he was – when I designed him, I designed him myself. I drew how his outfit would look. I drew his axes. Uh, I drew his look, and to this very day, he is the exact same way he is when I drew him. <laughs> there, there's, hey, dude, there's nothing wrong with that, you know. I, um, so the, the, I never had to change anything on him, and if anything has changed, it's because of my artist. So if I got five artists on Bane, and, and I'm, and this is the kind of artist, uh, this is the kind of creator I am. I never tell my artist this is what he needs to look like. What I do is if they want to draw a Bane, I say, you can draw a Bane how you see him. And I have so many different kind of looks for Bane right now from okay. how they see him. So I give them creative freedom. So I have many looks, but he still pretty much stays the same. He never changed. He has, still has the same white outfit, same battle axes. It, it, he's the same. So I was mm-hmm. one of the very few who got lucky with never having to change my artist, I mean my character. Right, and okay, so that's the A part. That's the 20% part. On the 80% part, um, did, were, there, were there any, was there anything about the business model that you had to refine or you thought that you could improve on? The story. Like, I always, okay. got, I always got input about the story. Oh, it should be uh-huh. this. It should be that. It should... You know, um, uh, I just recently talked to one investor or somebody who has investor. He goes, well, I feel like the script should be a little tighter on this and a little tighter on, on that. And my re- response to him was, the script doesn't matter, right? And he was like, what? You know, because, you know, the script always matters, but sometimes you have to try to make them see a 3D aspect because everybody, for some reason, thinks we live in a one-dimensional world, but we don't. 
I said, the script doesn't matter. He goes, well, how can you say that? I said, well, this is an action horror movie, right? He said, yes. I said, how many Grammy-nominated award-winning action horror films do you know? He said, none. I said, in all the years that stories have been written, how many Grammy-nominated, Oscar-award-winning films have been done? He said, none that I know of. I said, not that it can't be done, but it's just that kind of genre. I said, now, the script doesn't matter in the aspect of whatever script I write right now, by the time it gets to the screen, it's not going to be this script. I said, because it'll be the rewrites will get done. I'll have to turn mm-hmm. it over. They'll, they'll do the development on the script, and they'll turn it over. And guess what? It'll get in the director's hand. And you know what directors usually do? They start ripping out pages and hitting it with highlighters. You see my point that I'm trying to make? So even if I wrote the perfect script, by the time it gets to them, it's no longer perfect because they'll rearrange it. That's true. And the other thing that I think that that we should express to to creatives is if you put together something like you put together or you have a great story or you have a comic book or a book and somebody pays you money to option it, once you take that money, it's out of your hands. And as you said about the director, the director is going to change the story to suit them. They're going to, excuse me, add and subtract subplots and characters in order to tell the story their way. And then they're going to edit it the way that they want to edit it. So, you know, for those people who are so in love with their stuff that they can't bear to see anybody make changes to it, then then don't don't sell an option to your stuff because that's what happens. How are, yeah, you going to I mean, keep, how are you going to keep track of uh, keep but, keep control of your intellectual property? Are you going to self-produce everything so that you maintain that control? Well, as far as the IP is concerned, uh-huh. uh I mean, once again, this is a this is a rare thing, and it, it, it may happen to a few other people, but. Because my character is so well developed and my business plan is so uh, tight with the full understanding uh, Bane on all media levels, all into holograms. If they made holograms in 2020, Bane is already a hologram. Like I have ideas for the hologram for Bane. So I am so advanced as far as my delivery and my uh, presentation that when I go in, I don't have that issue as far as intellectual property. So it's like if you want something from me and you're willing, it's almost like say, hey, we'll give you $350 million for Bane. I'd be like, sure, you can have it as long as I have all these percentages and attachments in the meantime. So you can just have the, the, the money, I mean the movie, but you still have to pay me for the marketing aspect. So all the comic books, you've got to pay me for that. That's separate. For the toys, that's separate. Everything is separate. Clothing, separate. So you have to see me on all levels. Video games, you want to pay for that too? That's separate. Well, that's that's another cautionary tale too. If you're going to go and work in that in that um, arena, <clears throat> you for damn sure better have some good uh, legal representation too. Yeah, well, and this is something a lot of people they don't they don't understand. They just think oh, I'm going to go in there and tell them no, this is what it's going to be, and they'll just tell you to get out. So unless you are Unless you actually have your project locked down on all levels, I'm talking about as far as the creative 
aspect, the the business mm-hmm. side, to a point when you go in there and there's nothing they can give you except for money, then you win. Right. You win. It's a win-win. Yeah. You you can't lose. Like <clears throat> in my situation, it's a win-win because I have everything to the T that there's nothing they can do for me except write a blank check. And and that goes back to having a business plan, having having all of those T's crossed and I's dotted in terms of, you know, even even down to your intellectual property. You know, how, how can it be used? Who are you going to let use it? What's it going to cost? All of those things. And all of those things matter. And, and that's the business of doing business, and that's the part where most creatives are weakest. I think that you right. benefit a lot. <clears throat> I think you benefit a lot from the fact that you have been in Hollywood as long as you have. You've watched how it works. You've actually been in the system. You know, for somebody sitting in Iowa writing, you know, the next great comic book character, if if that happens, they they've got some schooling they've got to attend. They have they have some research that they have to do, and for damn sure they have to they have to pay about pay attention to the essence of the business of doing business. Otherwise, they're just not going to they're not going to do well. You know, you're going to lose your own intellectual property. You may even lose control of your own empire out of out of either ego or ignorance. And and nobody wants to see that happen. Um we've got about 15 minutes here. What I'd like for you to talk about a little bit about <clears throat> excuse me, is what's your long-term plan? Where do you think you're going to be about 5 years from now? With, with this creative universe that you've put together for Bain? I, I plan on having a, 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 a... My goal is to build an empire and leave a legacy for not just my kids, but for, you know, just the younger generations. I mean, in five years, this, 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 this will be on, on just legendary status. Like, stories will be told of how everybody can do this. You know, like, wow, he did this, he lived like this, and this is what he has become. And, and to this day, you know, Bane is like the Bruce Lee of the supernatural world. You know, I want it to be a trendsetter, like the Matrix. People still talk about the Matrix to this day. Not the second and third, but they just talk about the first one to this day. You know, they still talk about Bruce Lee to this day. They still talk about Tupac to this day. They will be talking about Bane until this day. You know, that's mm-hmm. five years is such a minute number. You know, um, I'm talking 10, 20 years is is where I see Bane still dazzling people, you know, for for more years to come. And, you know, I mean, I, and that's the wish I have for people who create all characters, and this is what I want to say to you. Don't put your sensibilities into your character to a point that you're angry. Because people can feel that. When you write something, they can feel it. They, they feel it in the words. They feel how you, you, you draw the character. They can, they can feel it. And if you create something for the world, it will have longevity. If you create something for self, for financial gain, and just for one culture, you're going to fail. That's just, that's just what it is. It has to be universal love all the time. It has to be universal passion. It has to be your dream. Like the dream is first. Everything else is secondary. And greatness doesn't come 
from a freebie. It comes from, like, major, major sacrifices. Oodles and noodles, sardines and rice, whatever you can, however you live in, sleeping in the park, as long as you got a blanket and you wake up and you sleep, eat and dream, your dream, you can't lose. And And that's an investment that you have to decide to make at the beginning because, you know, I don't I don't think very many people come to some revelation like that in the middle of adversity because once you once you get to the point where you're worrying about uh survival and and you haven't decided that I don't give a damn how hard it is it's going to happen. Um that's that's a pretty laudable way of pushing yourself and pushing whatever your your creative bent forward. But a lot of people don't have that, you know. Um I you know I don't I don't really talk about it but I you know for like one winter it was like for the whole winter while I was writing a book I was like eating soup you know that's about it because I wanted to get that book done and sometimes you know that kind of sacrifice or at least that kind of that kind of effort is not easy to manifest itself but you know when when you can tell people yeah I was sleeping in my car because this is this is what it takes to do what I want to do. You know, people people have to take notice of that, and they should take notice of that. Um, yeah, I'm just saying, if you're not if you're not ahead. waking up at four or five in the morning, checking your social network media and 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 dropping ideas and then going back to sleep, you're not in it. <laughs> you're not in it. I wake up sometimes two or three. You know, I get up. Uh, you know, go get something to drink. Maybe go to the bathroom. And I got my phone in my hand, checking my Twitter and everything, and looking through right. all my pictures and posting up more Bane stuff and putting it out there and crawl back, you know, and under the blankets and go right back to sleep, keep my phone next to me, and then when it beeps, I check it and say, okay, somebody likes it. All right, I'm going back to sleep. Okay, somebody sent the message on Twitter. They like it, Instagram. Oh, they, they left a message. Great. Okay, now I know what else I need to work on. So when I wake up, I wake up already going in on Bane. Right, right. And and you um, you know you are completely committed. I mean, people have to people have to understand that you have decided that this is the most important thing you're to, that that you're going to do, and this is how you want to do it. I mean, that's huge, man. A lot of people don't know, you know, and a lot of people lack the discipline. But it it is it is the discipline of an entrepreneur. It's almost uh, I don't want to say psychotic. I don't want to say anal. But if you don't invest that level of commitment in it, the chances are you're 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 going to be kissing failure more often than not. Yeah, that's gonna be your, your new wife. <laughs> <laughs> uh speaking of which, are you a family guy? What are you? No, I'm a I'm a single man because the I I've put so much time into this. It's it the the thing I have in my mind is I won't get married and have kids until I'm able to build this empire for them. Right. And and at for least one, have it sustainable for you at that time, right? Yes, long enough where my family can survive and 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 forever. You know? uh-huh. So when I when I build this, you know, I'll teach them about the business first. If anything ever goes wrong, have your business in. Creativity right. can lag and you can always bring in people to help you keep it creative, but teach them the business of how I kept I kept it alive. And uh-huh. that way, if worse come to worse, they'll always have that inner knowledge of 
my dad always said, do it like this and do it like that and just, you know, you know, be good to people and just have your business work and business paper together, you're good. Mm-hmm. And do you think you're going to stay out in uh, in the L.A. area? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've been in, I've been, I came to LA in 95. I mean, I've been here forever. So, I mean, I don't really see me going yeah. for any time soon. No, because, uh, you know, those of us who do film here in Chicago, we tell everybody LA is where you go for your dreams to die. <laughs> no, LA, LA really is the mecca. Like, if you want to, if you want to get something done, you got to come to LA. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you can do it anywhere, but LA is just like, it's the mecca. You cannot deny the power of the source. This is the source. Well, Hollywood, and then, you know, Hollywood yeah. is the place to come. You may come to Hollywood and die in that aspect, but L.A. is right. the source of creativity. Yeah. Uh, what's the temperature out there right now? Yeah, it's pretty hot. It's, it's yeah, so that's what I was hearing. I was hearing, like, last week it was in the 90s all week. Is that true? Yeah, it, it gets sometimes it gets too hot, and then yesterday it was cloudy. So LA is just like sometimes it's like a woman; it's very fickle. It wears this emotion on the sleeve. Right. And um, for the most part, do you hey do you travel much? I mean, you mentioned going you know going to some cons. Do you go to many of them? Um, in you know in the service of of your universe, or what are, what are you doing now? Right now. Uh, I mean, if I do travel anywhere, like I said, it's always back and forth to China. But right, right now, as far as the service of, of my universe and, and, and my Bane character, I'm just one point. I don't move until everything that I need is done. Mm-hmm. And, then I'm a, and then I'm able to, you know, okay, I need to go to these Comic-Con in Philly, and I need to go to this Comic-Con in Chicago and Detroit. I need to go to this Comic-Con in Nebraska. You know, I, I you know I, I start getting out, but I just want to make sure that that everything. Are you is, coming? Is, Yo, uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, so I'm gonna try to hit every Comic Con, every chance. Once my comic book is done, I'm gonna try to hit, go everywhere all the time. Sure. Are you coming to C2E2 this year here in Chicago? Uh, it all it all depends on, like I said, it all depends on how how uh, how my book looks. If I'm yeah. satisfied with the the final uh, product and uh, and how much material I got, sure. So, well, if you do, come on out and I'll buy you lunch. Can't beat that. I'm all for that. <laughs> um, no, I'm serious because I, I buy you dinner, but I have to be in the house by the time the street lights come on. That's just well. Then I should just, you should, I should just come over and we can just cook dinner and we'll just like cook up a storm and just. Sit back and watch there you go. TV. And, there you go, man. And, it, and it's cheaper that way. <laughs> it, well, it is, and it's a lot more fun because you're with better people. Um, and actually, there's a few BSF BSFSers here in Chicago, a really good group. Um, you would like them. So, if, if seriously, though, if you're going to go to any of these cons, be sure to post it up in the events calendar, and I'll just keep taking a peek there. And I think C2E2 is like uh, April 24th. Fourth. So this may be short notice for you to jump on this one, but yeah, um, it really is. you know, definitely, definitely post up when you're going to be at different ones of these uh, these comic cons, um, and maybe some of these black new age uh, shows too, and then that way people can, you know, make sure to try to catch up with you 
if you're in their neighborhood because that's always uh, always something that people want to look at. You know, and, and I always want to try to meet people who I've interviewed on the show. So, um, like I said, even if, uh, if, even if we meet someplace else, I'll still take you to lunch, okay? Awesome. All right, and really then if that. you have if you have any really targeted, I mean, what's the most important advice you can give to somebody else who wants to create their own comic universe from your perspective? I say create from the heart. I mean, be sincere about the character you create. Just don't create it just because you think you can do better. Don't create it just because, oh, they did it, I can do it. Just don't. I mean, that's, that's, that's set up for failure. Just create from the heart. If this is something you've always had in your heart to do, then just create it, design it, research other characters. There's so much information. Go to Wiki, go to Google, uh, look at images, and just kind of look at everything as a collective and then, you know, create and design your wardrobe. Think of cool weapons. Uh, go to YouTube and look at video games and see what they do as far as creating characters and just have fun with it. Mm-hmm, just, mm-hmm. You know, just just have fun with creating your character. And once you created your character, find various artists that you like. That oh, that's my kind of style. And then you know, see if you can get that artist to draw you your first picture. You know, and, right? And then from and then from there, market that picture to death. Instead of putting yourself on Instagram, put your character on Instagram and Twitter right. and Facebook oh, and yeah. find all kinds of groups. And you're you're see so right. Yeah, and see if you'll get proper response from all groups. Because I'm in a lot of groups who will destroy you, <laughs> you know, if you put something out. Right. But if they like it, you know you've done something good. And once again, right. I, my character is from the heart. So I think people accept Bane from the heart. And and obviously it's it's picking up a following already even without the comic book, so that, that's the, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah I uh, like I I took a I took a, a a page out of your book before we even met. Um, the the cover of my second book was done by the guy who does the artwork for the Walking Dead TV show, and you know he did such a great job, and it really it does make a difference. You know, people people, you, I can't. Express I think, I think he retweeted. People. I think he retweeted some stuff on Bane. Uh, I sent him some images of Bane to him on tweet on Twitter. Uh, Jax Jackman, J A X. On 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 Twitter. He's on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's he's a great artist, and you know I was very lucky, friend of a friend, you know. And uh, but but the you know that that goes back to some of the things you said earlier make sure that what you do is tight make sure that what you do is the best you can do and shows well because if you don't you're definitely going to hear about it aren't you oh they will they will destroy you <laughs> people be are savage, relentless. Can't they? <laughs> even on the social on the social network they don't have to look you in your face so that means they can say whatever they want over the text over the phone over the internet, anything they want and if they give you positive <laughs> feedback like when I send my stuff out on Twitter, I'm invading people's space. So if if the illustrator from The Walking Dead is sitting with his family and all of a sudden, you know, he likes his page to be a certain way and all of a sudden here comes Bane being blasted all over his page, he could just be like, what is this crap? And be like, don't 
tweet stuff on my page. You know what I mean? But if he looks at it and goes, this is amazing. Like, great work. I mean, good luck on this. Right, right. That and, says and, a lot. It does. It does. Um, I I want to thank you for being here, man. This was This was pretty easy. How was it for you? It was great. I enjoyed it. All right, so when, when Bane comes experience. out, I love it. Yeah, when Bane comes out, when the comic comes out, of course, post up the fact that it's out and advertise it on BSFS, and let let Jarvis know. Maybe we'll have you pop in again, and you could talk about you know a few months down the road what the response has been and and some of your experiences because I think they'll be great. And uh, you know, I want to thank you because you made my job very very easy, and I think people are going to get a good idea of who you are and what you're doing, and, and more importantly, what you think about in terms of the business of doing business, because that is the big part of making sure everything happens. And and I want to express this from my own heart. If you're going to do a business, people out there, write a business plan. If you don't know how to write a business plan, go Google it. If you think that you know it's too hard to do it on your own, Go buy this software, some of this business plan software they got out there. They got one called Business Plan Pro or whatever. But if you're going to be serious about starting a business and you don't do a business plan, nobody else is going to take you seriously. Exactly. Um, so what I want to do is I, I, I'm going to say thank you now. Um, I'm going to try to grab uh, Jarvis for a second, and uh, because he always closes out the show, closes out the show, and and. Uh, I, I hope to run into you again. Like I said, if you come to Chicago, drop me a note at BSFS, and uh, and we will definitely get together, okay? Awesome. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. All right. Oh, thank you very much, China. And Jarvis, talk to us in our pre-recorded mode. <laughs> All right. I'm going to just keep it really, really brief. I want to thank everyone involved for this show tonight, and I want people to know this guy that you're talking to, he's been real humble. This brother has over 32 credits on Internet Movie Database, including The Matrix, The Time Machine, The One, Game Over, and he's here sharing his um, experience with us. This is some great stuff, and I keep telling people Black Science Fiction Society has the most talented people on the planet. So continue to support us, and we'll continue to support you with what you're doing by focusing on what you're doing, putting you on the radio show, putting you in the magazine, putting you in the anthology, and just sharing information with each other on the site. Uh, thanks again, uh, China, uh, and William for making it interesting. Um, I'm, I'm just sitting back here real, really thankful and uh, almost speechless getting all this great information that you're getting, uh, that you've been sharing firsthand with us here. And with that said, um, I want to thank everybody once again and continue to support us. And this is a really great show. <laughs> thank you. Really appreciate it, Jarvis. All right, All right man. man. And, and on behalf of uh, Genesis Science Fiction Radio and the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website, I want to wish everybody a good day. Don't forget to tell your friends. Normally the show is at 9 p.m. Eastern Time every Friday or almost every Friday. <laughs> when I'm lucky enough to slip this thing off my ankle and have a date or something like that, sometimes hey, I'm butter, not here. Man. But yeah, butter. well, and 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 again, um, China, thank not you once again, and and I wish everybody a, a great rest of their week, their weekend, what have you. 
and uh, we're going to call it uh, we're going to call it a day, right, Jarvis? Yes, sir. Thank you. Take care, everybody. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.